This is Emily Wilkins, your host of The Evaluation. Sorry I've been gone for so long, but we're back with Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, part four, The Art of Running Downhill. Um, before I jump into the books, um, starting on page 127, I just want to say this is a fairly long uh, section with something like 40, 50 pages. Um, so I'm just reading highlights. As I always say, go purchase the book. I got this from Books A Million. You can get it online at Amazon, your local bookstore, Barnes & Noble. Um, so yeah, let's jump in. Page 127, January 1994. Don loved that I had gone on a motorcycle trip through Europe with his boys. The three of us, all cast by him and dazed and confused. Back sleeping on his couch, I didn't say a word about meeting an agent. Didn't even think about it. Didn't need to. One night, over another scoop of vanilla, haagen and some strawberry marmalade, Don said, You're ready. Tomorrow morning, I got us a meeting with Brian Swanstorm and Beth Holland, Holden at the only agency that would see us, the William Morris Talent Agency. Tell them you want to direct. As well, you'll sound even less needy. They'll salivate. My resume was my performance as Wooderson in Days and Confused, which had been released in limited theaters a few months earlier. Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre of the Next Generation hadn't been released yet. Boots, jeans, and tucked in button-down shirt, I shook their hands and sat down for the next job interview. I acted like I wanted them, not like I needed them. Swadstrom nibbled, holding bit. I signed with Beth and William Morrison the next day. Now, this is usually the point in the story where the protagonist... The young wannabe actor gone west grovels and lines up hundreds of almost got auditions, has to take a job, waiting tables, and gets asked uh, to suck somebody's dick for a cameo role. Well, that's not my story. One week after signing with William Morris, I got my first audition in Hollywood with casting director Hank McCann for the role of Drew Barrymore's very honest husband, Abe uh, Abe Lincoln in the film's Boys on the Side. They liked my audition enough to reschedule a second one for the director Herb Ross six, six weeks later. A week after that first audition, I got called in for another one, this time for the Disney film called Angels in the Outfield. The role was that of an all-American baseball player named Ben Williams. I wore my American flag baseball cap and a white t-shirt for this job interview. Warner Brothers lot Bungalow 22 parking lot level. I opened the door to enter, backlit by the afternoon sun. Whoa, look at you, all-American kid. A voice boomed from a couch opposite the entry door. I stopped in the doorway and looked down at the squinting man who was addressing me. Yes, sir. I said, ever play baseball, he asked. 12 years, from 6 years old until I was 18. Great. You got the job. We start shooting in two weeks. 48,000 to play baseball for 10 weeks in Oakland. You kidding me? I needed it. I only had uh, 1,200 to my name at the time. I called my brother Pat to share the news. Fuck yeah, little brother. Super Bowl is coming up. Let's go to Vegas and celebrate on me. And then um, he talks about gambling. He says, uh, like, now I like to gamble, mostly on myself, but occasionally on sports, Specifically, NFL football, I never bet enough to change my lifestyle, win or lose, but rather just enough to buy a ticket to the game, meaning enough to make me want to watch it closely and give a damn enough to get a buzz. For me, that can uh, be 50 bucks. I never used to tout service because to me, that's where's the fun of that. If I lose, I try to figure out where I misread the, mis, uh, 
the matchup. But ultimately, I like to pick my own winners because when I win, I knew it. So that was page 128 into 129. I'm going to skip over um, some of this stuff. And I'm just going to go to the bottom of 133. Uh, it's one of those bumper stickers that he's kind of he's famous for in this book. or It's very popular in this book. And it says, when you can, ask yourself if you want to do, want to before you do. Um, uh, on page 134, there's another uh, bumper sticker. And it says, the intellect is not meant to surpass the apparent so far as to conceal it or make it more confusing. It is meant to expose the truth more clearly and reveal more of the obvious from more lines of sight. It should simplify things, not make them more cerebral. And uh, let's go. So now I'm going to skip to 136. So he gets a little big for his britches. And... Uh, <laughs> Very funny because he take he decides to just take a part, didn't read the script, do anything, right? So he's uh he gets the script and he said, I unfold the sides and have a look. One page, two page, three pages, four pages of a monologue in Spanish. Holy shit. I feel a bead of sweat form on the back of my neck. My heart starts racing. What am I going to do? My mouth goes dry. I try to keep calm, and then I look up to no one in particular. And allowed to set, I say, can I get 12 minutes, please? My half-ass thinking was that 12 minutes would be, one, enough to memorize all the Spanish. Because, hey, I took a semester of Spanish class in 11th grade. And two, not enough time to inconceive, inconvenience the crew. I take a little walk with the sides. A 12-minute walk to, uh, pers uh, to be precise. <laughs> to be precise, I then returned to set, put the sides back in my pocket, and stepped to my mark. The director says, action, and we shoot the scene. I've never watched Scorpion Spring. I did learn a good lesson that day, though. We have to prepare to have freedom. We have to do the work to do the job. We have to prepare for the job so we can be free to do the work. Knowing my man does not mean I know Spanish. So that's uh, 136 and 137. I really, I just like that. I did, I did learn a good lesson that day, though. We have to prepare to have freedom. We have to do the work to then do the job. We have to prepare for the job so we can have, so we can be free to do the work. That's a convoluted way to say discipline equals freedom, bro. Make sure you get your shit together before you decide to go take a scene. So, um. Alrighty. Um, so at the time, there's uh, the, basically to set this, um, we're, we're going to go into page 139. And a little bit of the back story is Matthew McConaughey um, wants this role in A Time to Kill based on the book by John Grisham. So 139. What happened next was certainly not part of my plan, but a lot of things that were out of my control went my way. Sandra Bullock, who was already cast on Elena Roark in A Time to Kill, had recently starred in a film called While You Were Sleeping, which had recently opened with a respectable first weekend of just under 10 million. But since I'd planted the seed with Joel, While You Were Sleeping had crept up to over 
$80 million in domestic box office revenue. It was a big hit and had made Sandra Hollywood's newest Greenlight movie star, which meant the studios believed she was popular enough to headline a film. With an actress who could now open a film already cast in the number three supporting role in A Time to Kill, Warner Bros. was suddenly a f- uh, free to consider a less bankable actor for a lead role. But did that mean Joel uh, Schumacher started to take my suggestions seriously? Apparently not. They were considering my now great friend and brother from another mother, Woody Harrelson, for the role of Jake um, Bridgens. Sorry if I'm completely saying these names, by the way, for those that actually know A Time to Kill. I never watched a movie. I've never been huge into movies. I know I know it's one of his most uh, prominent roles. It's like a serious role. It's kind of what made him... People knew, okay, he has all these romantic comedies, but he also could be a really good a- actor, um, meaning... Matthew. But anyway, then the plot twisted once again. Turns out the author, John Grissom, also had casting approval on the role of Jake Bridgens as the character was based on himself. Also turns out that on March 7, 1995, a a man named Bill Savage was murdered in Mississippi. The murderers, a young man and woman, said they were inspired by Mickey and Mallory, the characters brought to life by Woody Harrelson and Juliet Lewis in Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers. Bill Savage was John Grisham's friend. And there was no way the guy who played Mickey in that film was going to play Jake in this one. Filming was scheduled to commence in six to eight weeks in Canton, Mississippi. All the roles were uh, cast except for Jake. A couple weeks later, I was on the rooftop of a Mexican restaurant in L.A. having a 4 p.m. margarita with my manager, Beth Holden, when my phone rang. I want you to come in for a screen test, Joel said over the phone. It had been two months since I'd planted the seed. We'll do it next Sunday in a small private studio in Fairfax, so no one will know, because even if you do great, it's such a long shot that the studio will approve you. I don't want to, I don't want the perceived failure to be on your resume around town. The scene I want you to test will be Jake's final uh, summation. Sunday came. It was Mother's Day. I called mine at daybreak. Don't walk in there like you want the role, Matthew. Walk in there like you own it. Just what I needed to hear. Thanks, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. So, for those that know, he got it. Um, yep. Um, there is a part that I, I really like. It's called A Roof is a Man-Made Thing. Um, and it's some of his stuff is... Just he he'll put it on like uh, black and then the white ink and then the white and the black. He does this often. Um, I really love it, but it's it's a lot to read. So for those of you that go purchase this book, um, make sure you go to page one forty three and and read that. A roof is a man made thing. Um, another. Uh, Another thing is, uh, one four, I'm 144, the day of the opening of a, a Time to Kill, I strolled in my favorite deli 
on 3rd Street Promenade in Santa Monica, California to get a tuna fish sandwich on toasted sour bread with extra pickles and ketchup on the side. It was like any other stroll down Promenade for me. 400 or so people milling about 396 made nothing of me. Four did. A few girls who thought I was cute and one dude who liked my shoes. That night, A Time to Kill premiered in theaters across America and grossed $15 million in its opening weekend, a box office hit in 1996. The following Monday, I went back to Promenade to get another tuna fish sandwich on toasted sourdough with extra pickles and ketchup on the side. It was not like another showdown promenade for me. 400 or so people milling about. 396 stared at me. Four did not. Three babies and a blind man. I checked my fly and slightly thumbed my nose to see if I had a booger hanging out. I didn't. What the fuck? I was famous. So, you know, he, he goes on. There's some really good stuff. Um, 147. Why we all need a walkabout. Uh, there's part of this, um, it's a, it almost looks like a poem. It's in a different print. Like I said, this book is visually really cool. It kind of reminds me of, um, of Action Bronson's book, just kind of the way it's very easy to read. It has different things. Like you can tell they really took the time to, when they were, when, when Matthew McConaughey was probably writing this book or when he had the people, he's like, this is how I want this stuff. This is the way I want it laid out. You can tell he took the time to, to really think about how he wanted it. But one of the things is, says, we realize we are stuck with the one person we can never get rid of ourselves. And, um, yeah, I was reading this and I, I think I was pretty stressed out that weekend and, and I was reading this and I really, that just resonated with me because I think a lot of people aren't comfortable with who they are. And I think, uh, you know, I'm 30, I'm going into the next decade of my life and I'm pretty confident in who I am right now. I hope in the next decade, I'll be a different version of myself, a better version of myself, but a different version of myself. And uh, it's kind of exciting sometimes to think about, there's a lot of things you can't control, but ultimately... I mean, not to sound super corny, you're the, you're the master of your fate, the captain of your destiny. Isn't that the, I think that's the poem master of my fate is uh, master of my fate. So anyway, um, I'm skipping a lot, uh, for sure. Go and, um, go and read the book. Um, one of the things is he tells his mom, uh, loose, loose lips sink ships. And, um, he had to tell his mom, like, don't, don't do interviews of me, um, or interviews about me. You know what I mean? I'm famous now. You can't do that. Uh, on the bottom of page 152, the art of running downhill. Don't trip yourself while running downhill. That mountain you want to climb, it's just around the corner. Don't invent drama. It will come on its own. Uh, yeah, there's no lie about that. Life is just life, right? Um, one fifty-five. There's another really cool little bumper sticker. Um, just because the seats are empty doesn't mean they're not taken. Sometimes the guest list needs to be for one. You. Um. All right. I'm on page one fifty-seven. A few hours later, I woke. On the 13th morning to a rising sun, surprisingly fresh and energized, I dressed, made some tea, and went for a morning walk. 
not toward my destination or any expectation, but rather to nowhere in particular. I felt great, alive, clean, free, bright. Walking along a muddy path, I turned a corner, and there in the middle of the trail was a mirage of the most magnificent pinks and blues and red colors I had ever seen. It was electric, glowing, and vibrant, hovering just above the jungle floor, pulsing as if plunged in by some neon-charged power plant. I stopped. I stared. I backed up a pace. There was no way around it, and it was no mirage at all. The jungle floor in front of me was actually a kaleidoscope of thousand butterflies. It was spectacular. I stayed a while, gaping in wonder. Captivated, I heard this little voice inside my head say these words. All I want is what I can see. All I see is in front of me. No longer in a rush to get anywhere or anticipating what was around the corner, coming up next or up ahead, time slowed down. I raised my chin to the sky and said a quiet thank you, then glanced down the path just past the massive um, levitating butterflies. And there, for the first time, I saw the Amazon River. The tower of all my anxieties now laying down laterally in front of me, just like the slow-moving river. For the first time in months, I was at ease. So, um, yeah, he goes on a walkabout and he goes down and, um, you know, he just wants to find the, the Amazon river. Um, and the way that, uh, pretty much that particular story ends is I crossed a truth Did I find it. I don't know. I think I found me. Why? Because I put myself in a place to be found. I put myself in the place to receive it. How do we know when we cross a truth or a truth crosses us? I believe the truth is all around us all the time. The anonymous angels, the butterflies, the answers, all always right there. But we don't always identify, grasp, hear, see, or assess them. Because we're not in the right place to. We have to make a plan. Green light. And this this actually continues on, like the chapter continues on. Um, he ends up living in a trailer park in Texas and no one really bothers him. Very interesting. Um, and I'm going to end it on, um, 173, which is the last, um, the last page of this, uh, of this, of part four. As I've said, I skip over a lot of the intricacies and details of, you know, him becoming famous and the movies and the roles and all of those things and him and his brother and all these other things, right? Um, I don't want to get flagged for (laughs) basically reading his whole book because a lot of it is a cause um it's just it's his story right it's so but I want to make sure that uh, I read some of my favorite parts and one of them the last in the last page on 173 is the white collar prayers ever been to a baptist church in the deep south they pray real prayers they pray for things they need god if I'm sick bring me a doctor god If I'm sued, bring me a lawyer, God. If I'm cold, bring me a blanket, God. If I'm hungry, bring me some food. Blue-collar prayers. Then there's the privileged prayers. 
They pray fake prayers. They pray for things they want. God, help me win this game. God, make mama buy me that dress. God, get me an Oscar nomination. God, let me get that yacht. White collar prayers. We need to quit asking God to answer these types of prayers. He's busy trying to get a new set of tires. And, um, yeah, tune in for part five. Um, it's called Turn the Page. And we, I, my goal is I have some downtime the next couple of weeks is to get through the rest of this book, um, which is only, I think it's seven parts. So, or maybe it's eight. Oops. Yeah, it's, um, it's eight parts. So we're on five. So we have, we have a couple more parts. Um, yeah, my goal is to, to, to knock this out over the next, uh, two weeks so if you see me blowing through some of these parts, um, like I said, I just want to make sure that I'm not reading the whole section. Great book. He's an awesome writer. Uh, it was it was such an easy book to read. I think I, when I started this, I said that. I still hold true to that. I blew through it in two days. Um, but I want to make sure that I uh, we finish up, that we wrap this up before the new year because starting into the new year, I have several books that I want to read um, and discuss on the pod. I hope you guys are having a wonderful holiday season. Thank you for listening, tuning in um, to my five to six consistent listeners. It's a pleasure having you in the book club. As always, I'll catch you next time. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful week. This is Emily Wilkins with Evaluation, the New Age Book Club.